This is Transmission, Life at the Heart of an Epidemic. Today's episode, Housebound. So how long have you been in quarantine? Technically since Wednesday, so what is that, five days? I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and this is Dan Gray. He's 28, a recent University of Washington grad. And for him, this got real last week. Well, I was actually FaceTiming with my uncle nine days ago or whatever. And I was joking around because he was feeling sick, but he didn't have symptoms of coronavirus. And I was like, you got the Wuhan? And he's like, no, I don't think so. You know, just feeling kind of under the weather. And then it's like, sure enough, you know, so quickly things just stop being a, you know, a funny thing and just start being real. He is currently in the ICU with COVID-19. And we just got the news uh, last night that my aunt also has it. So they're both completely isolated. He's obviously like locked down in the hospital and she's uh, she's locked down at home because her symptoms aren't bad enough for her to warrant hospitalization. And, um, and my mom doesn't have any symptoms, but she's she's locked down at her house. How is your uncle doing? Back and forth, but I think last night was really rough. You know, I think my um, my cousins and my aunt thought that he was going to die pretty soon. But today he's doing much better. So it's I feel horrible for them because it's just like a yo-yo, you know. Like some days it's good and the next day it's not. And just, yeah, heart-wrenching, man. I don't know. Another thing to know about Dan, he has tetraplegia. It's paralysis that affects all four limbs. He uses a wheelchair and has some health complications. I don't use my chest muscles to breathe. I use my diaphragm, which means that my like lung capacity is pretty, pretty significantly diminished compared to like your average person. So I, I, I have to be pretty cautious about, you know, pneumonia and any kind of respiratory stuff. I don't know if you've ever had breathing issues, but that's like a, it's a very anxiety inducing kind of, your body quickly kind of shoots into this like existential, like, all right, this might be, you know what I mean? And then when you finally get that breath, it's like calms everything down, but it's like a real fear and it's difficult to alleviate. For now, he's having to do without his normal caregivers. His brother lives with him and he's taking over. Dan says he's feeling fine physically and bearing up pretty well so far mentally. In fact, for the rest of us who really could find ourselves in isolation at almost any moment, Dan Gray has a little advice. Try to find the silver lining, you know, because like a friend of mine just uh, messaged me. She lives in the international district. Her and her roommate, they live in a really tight space, but it's like they have like floor to ceiling window in their little uh, living space. And uh, it's super sunny today. And they put out like a little beach towel and they like hung some bananas. So they, they're they having like an impromptu beach vacation right now. So, you know, little things you can do to convince yourself that you're not you're not quarantined you're on a little staycation for a lot of us isolating at home also means separating from the people that we're most concerned about we've all heard by now that older people and those with underlying health problems are most at risk and that has a lot of us worried about parents and grandparents Sometimes it means blurring the family roles, kids lecturing their moms and dads about washing hands and staying home. 
KNKX's Jennifer Wing caught up with one family in the throes of figuring this stuff out. Jane Kawana is 77. Her husband is 88. They live in the Ida Culver House in Broadview. It's an assisted living facility in North Seattle. Their daughter, Ellen, lives just a few miles away. But right now, they might as well be in different countries. I haven't seen my parents since uh, the last time I saw them (laughs) for dinner was on the 1st of March. I proactively said, we're just going to assume we're... we're, um, potentially exposed because my daughter was still in Seattle public schools and my husband works in a hospital and university setting and so I would rather I'm gonna just not have see you guys for dinner um, and I had talked them through okay you're touching the menus at dinner time in the dining hall so Purell after that before you eat. She bought salt and pepper shakers for us to carry to the dining room so that we didn't use the communal one. When it became clear that the COVID-19 was appearing more in Seattle with some confirmed cases, um, Broadview was very proactive and actually took the salt and pepper shakers off the table. There were packets of salt and pepper, so instead of salt and pepper shakers. Eventually, um, it became clear that it was getting worse, and so they shut down the dining hall, and they're delivering the meals to all the residents in their apartments. They're going to be delivering hot meals, and that we are instructed to eat them within three hours of the time written on the top of them so that the hot food stays hot enough that we don't end up with food poisoning here. How many times a week are you talking to them? And when you do talk to them, what what are you talking about right now? <laughs> I, I'm I'm laughing a little bit because um, I'm chiding my mom because I think now that she's not out and about, she just sets down her cell phone and doesn't think about it. So I'll text, and then it'll be a few hours, and I'll text again. And it's sort of what my kids to do do to me at a different scale, where if they don't hear back from me in a few minutes, I get you know four texts, mom, mom, mom. And I'm sort of doing that to my mom on a slower timeline, and then I'll escalate to a phone call and say, hey, you know, can you check your phone? I've sent you five texts. Your mom isn't responding to, to your texts. What, what is she doing? <laughs> what is she occupied with? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing her just doing Sudoku and, and ignoring the phone because I think she knows that it's either me reminding her to do something or cautioning her about something or it's my older brother who lives in dc who's you know telling them you know don't even go out so what i'm trying to do to keep my kids from worrying is staying put because one time when we went out for a ride we stopped at a drugstore and i got into a peck of trouble for having done that they decided to pop into a rite aid because they were driving past one. So they hadn't planned on it, but they were like, oh, okay, we're out and about, so why don't we just pop into a pharmacy? And um, I texted my brother, and he, <laughs> I think he called my mom, and he's a lawyer, so he <clears throat> has perfected a very stern tone. And he said, Mom, where do people go when they're sick? They go to a pharmacy. So what are you doing in a pharmacy? And you can sort of hear the exclamation points after that. He said, go home. I thought she was overreacting and she texted her brother and I thought he overreacted, but um, I know they're concerned. So we're staying put. Does anyone go a little bit scared? Oh, I suspect we all are. And I, you know, I can't imagine if you really can't get out and 
all you're doing is watching TV. I can't imagine that you're not verging on panic. That story was produced by Jennifer Wing. And Jennifer is in a sort of similar situation as Jane and Ellen. Jennifer's mom, Miriam, usually splits her time between Seattle and Ellensburg. When Miriam's in Seattle, she lives with Jennifer, and she's a doting grandmother to her two grandchildren. She drives them to lessons, makes them do homework. She slips them potato chips and donuts when Jennifer's not looking. But because of COVID-19, Miriam has not been to Seattle in a while. She's staying put at her home in Ellensburg. Jennifer picks it up from here. Heading to Ellensburg to see my mom. A few things about my mom. She's 72 years old. I usually have a hard time keeping up with her. She's Catholic and goes to mass a few times a week. She had a very long career as a nurse in Philadelphia. She's an East Coaster to the core, which I love. When she retired, she moved out west to be closer to us. I'm her only kid. Growing up, it was just the two of us, so we're pretty tight. I honestly don't really know what I would do without her. Her computer is busted, so I'm going to set up a new one for her and do my best to stay as far away from her as possible while we catch up. Everything was so normal up until yesterday, and I went to Mass early, and there was a sign saying that all Masses have been canceled in Yakima Valley, mm-hmm. but Father can do private Masses, and he was having one right now at 4.30, so I got there 10 minutes late, and it was about 25 people there, and they were all older except for some Mexican teenagers that looked like they were siblings, and a young married no children, but basically older people. And afterwards, we said the rosary out loud, and then the um, the whole divine, rosary. Oh yeah, the divine chaplet. Okay. Wow. Which is like a rosary. It's like a repetitious thing. What is it? What does it say? Jennifer, I can't remember. You think I said it a thousand times? I can't remember. I'd have to think. Um, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Pray for us and for everyone in the whole world. For the sake of the sorrowful passion, pray for us and those of the whole world. And you say that 10 times. I have everything I need here. It's really nice. It's like a nursing home, except there's no nurses to boss you around. I have TV and I have I have the landline and I can walk to church. I can walk to the post office. I can walk everywhere. And aside from the fact that everything's cheaper here, I would like to stay here because um, I think Seattle, like for the past six weeks I've been asking, could I just come home for a couple days? And you said it's not safe. So why would it be safe for me to be there for six weeks? I would go nuts. I would absolutely go nuts. I think you're safer here too. Mm -hmm. As long as I can hop in the car and come over here and check on you and put eyes on you, I'm okay with you being here. I would love to be able to come home and just have a couple meals with you. And I can't take the kids anywhere. What am I going to do all day? I can't. There's nothing for me to do to be useful. I mean, they're teenagers. They're going to do what they want to do. This is you guys 9-11. Every time I see a bright blue sky with no clouds in it and it's only 70 degrees at at, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, I think of 9-11. That changed everything. That changed 
everything. This is going to change everything for you guys, the way you go about life. It is. It's, uh, it's just not going to be the same, Jenny. When I meant the club, the uh, oh. collective you, yeah. you know. I, Most people here were still asleep, and they just don't get it. They don't get it. They didn't live it. They didn't go through it, and they don't get it. Everybody knew somebody that was either on the ground at 9-11 or who died there. And it was just different. It was just everything was different. You're talking just about the proximity. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, like, and being so aware of everything that happened every minute. This is the biggest thing since 9-11, and it may mm -hmm. well surpass it, mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. Um, all right. Now, so this is for Henry, this is for Lucy, and these are the eggs. Okay. And they don't have any money in them, they're just basic eggs. It's just, they don't need any money. Okay. I know you're too generous, Mom. And those eggs that she's talking about in the bag, they're Easter eggs. They're they're hollowed out and they're painted. It's just the shells. And they're completely stuffed with candy. Alright. And I don't have any little bottled water here for you That's to take okay. on your way home. So do you want a travel cup? No. I mean like a plastic cup, like a No, it, I really don't think there'll be much traffic, so I'm good. Do you have something to drink in the car? No, but I'm okay. How about just a solo cup? It came from your house anyway. Okay. Okay, I hope I don't regret this. I really do. I just I'm making a big mistake. I think I'm sure I'm gonna be fine here. Just, I just, it just seems like fine. Well, I, I think I'll be able to come back if they don't shut the pass down. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, I mean, it was really hard not to wrap my arms around my mom when we said goodbye, and it made me realize how I'm so conditioned to say I love you, mom, when I'm hugging her goodbye, not when I'm bumping her elbow with mine. I really have no idea if my mother will be safer in Ellensburg than here with my family in Seattle. But telling myself that she will be better able to dodge this virus because she's farther away from the hot zone and separated by a mountain range, it gives me some comfort, even if it's false. Bye. Jennifer Wing and her mom, Miriam. The vast majority of us are looking at being housebound for the coming, what, weeks, months? Who knows? And imagine the economic disruption of all of this. It's just still hard to fathom. One sector where this is starting to hit hard already is houses. The Seattle area has been one of the hottest real estate markets in the country for years. So what happens to all those house hunters and the sellers who are depending on them? KNKX's Posey Gruner has been doing some reporting on this. She talked to an economist named Matthew Gardner at Windermere, among others. And she joins me now from her place to tell us what she found. Hey, Gabe. A lot of the people that I talked to said, you know, we're looking at the data that's coming our way to really see where this is going. But I did talk to a uh, chief economist at Redfin, the Seattle-based online brokerage. And I also talked to the chief economist at Windermere, which is the Northwest's largest privately held brokerage. And Gardner told me that buyers are being pulled in two directions. One of which is amazing, historically low mortgage rates. I'd like to get in there. My buying power has, has increased 
But on the other hand, the economy is very, very hard. Have we seen a pullback nationally, certainly, on the number of people listing their homes? Oh, yes, we have. They don't want people coming through their houses. They believe, obviously, are disease-ridden. Wow. You talked to this one real estate agent named Sol. Can you tell us a little bit about his story and like how things are different last week and now? Yeah. So um, his name's Sol Villarreal. He's a realtor for Windermere. And, you know, I talked to him on Friday of last week, and he told me about the kinds of things that he was doing to keep himself and his clients safe while they were out touring houses. The first time we tour, I give them their own bottle of Purell, so they've got it. And I make sure that everybody's disinfecting after every house that we see, just assuming that every surface you touch has the coronavirus on it. And then on Monday, he said, I'm doing things differently right now. He called me while he was on the way to an inspection. It was the last thing that he was planning on doing. I've already told all my buyers that I'm not going to be doing any more in-person touring until after the social distancing measures have been lifted and kind of waiting and holding right now. This is something that I heard from other realtors and from the economists is they just don't know what's going to happen when people aren't moving around. There's no physical ability to to look at houses. Now, I talked to the chief economist at Redfin, and they said there's lots of ways around this. You know, there's online 3D tours, and people can get creative with the ways that they're looking at houses. Um, now, they're an online brokerage, so you know, they they have they have that bias. Um, I talked to the chief economist at Windermere, which is not an online brokerage. And, you know, what he said is, I don't know how far that's going to go. There's, you know, there's an element of just wanting to touch and see and feel what a place is like before you make such an amazingly large commitment. It is, you know, a colossal commitment. And, um, well, Posey, I'm wondering how you're feeling right now. <laughs> Uh, not good, Gabe. Not good. Um, so uh, the reason that I know Sol, the, the realtor that we just heard from, is that he is my real estate agent. And on February 25th, so four days before the first death from coronavirus in King County, he helped me put in an offer on a house. And on March 10th, so after a lot had transpired and it was pretty clear that this was going to be very big, I signed papers on that house and, uh, you know, on the way on the way to escrow, on the way to sign all those papers, I called Seoul and I called my wife um, and I called my financial advisor and I said, you know, I don't I'm I think I should back out like this is a crazy time to be buying a house. Despite my panic in the car on the way there, I did sign the papers um, and, you know, now I own a house. How are you feeling about just, I don't know, making this big leap at a time of such uncertainty? I have to say it was heartening to hear from uh, Gardner, the the chief economist. Um, he did he did say this thing at the end of our conversation that was comforting to me. Um, and I'm just going to play that for you. Hang in there. I think we will come out of this, this uh, quite frankly, in, in very good shape. Um, uh, and uh, but it's just it's one of those short sharp shocks which is something which most people in fact all of us have really not seen before so a short sharp shock is what he says that this is and he you know while he acknowledges that it's going to be horrible he also believes that the fundamentals of the economy are sound more broadly but then also specifically in the Seattle real estate market and you know 
over the next few months, we don't know how long uh, people may not be moving around, which means that people may not be buying or selling houses. But as soon as the restrictions are lifted, as soon as, you know, the health crisis is over, the people that I talk to expect that the demand is still going to be there and that there's going to be a very sharp uptick in the number of people listing their homes and the number of people out there trying to get out there and buy them. All right. Well, let's leave it on that note of cautious optimism. And um, I'll just add that, you know, um, I know that the house that you bought is happens to be in my neighborhood. And so I'm really looking forward to the point where we can, um, you know, walk dogs together or uh, get the kids together without worrying about getting everybody killed. <laughs> I also look forward to that day, Gabe, whenever it may be. For now, we'll just call each other from our respective locations. All right. Thanks. Posey. OK. Bye, Gabe. Meanwhile, plenty of people in our region aren't going to be housebound because they have a whole different set of issues. They're house-less. Next time, we'll dig into how this is playing out in the homeless population in a special crossover episode with the podcast Outsiders from KNKX and The Seattle Times. Before we go, I want to leave you with this one thing. I talked this week with a woman named Allison Phillips. She's a former Seattleite who now lives in Madrid, Spain, where they're on full lockdown, as in you can get fined or arrested for going outside. She's cooped up with her husband and three boys, age three, five, and eight, in a 700-square-foot apartment. It felt like there was a pretty good chance that I was glimpsing our own future when I talked to her. So she told me how they were coping with dance parties and obstacle courses and lots of WhatsApp chats. And one other thing. Saturday night, there's messages going around for people to open their windows at uh, 10 o'clock at night and applaud the the doctors and the nurses and the, all the people working in hospitals and the people that clean in hospitals and people working in the supermarkets, for example. And so we opened our windows and, and all our neighbors and all the buildings around, we could hear all their applause. And, and then it happened again last night. And um, it makes you feel like, okay, we're not alone in this and we're all rooting for each other and, and it's gonna be okay. Thank you to all the frontline workers out there who are making sacrifices for all of us and to everybody who's doing your part. Transmission is produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Thanks to Bethany Denton, Will James, Kari Plobe, Matt Martinez, and Aaron Hennessy. Please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. And we want to hear how this is changing your life. You can make a voice memo recording of yourself on your phone and email it to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission. Transmission.